Hey, welcome back to Production Night. This year, there are 12 propositions on the ballot in California. For most voters, trying to understand what each one will achieve is a difficult job. However, hopefully over the next couple of minutes, you'll at least have a better understanding of three of them. Here to talk about Proposition 17 is the Daily Aztec social media editor, Caitlin Wynn. How are you doing, Caitlin? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Brendan? I'm good. Thanks. Um, so you recently wrote a story on Proposition 17, and um, it was really interesting because you talked to formerly incarcerated SCSU students. So really quick, what is Prop 17, and if passed, what would it do? Well, Prop 17 looks to restore the right to vote to state parolees, so that's people directly after they've been released from prison at the state level and while they're still on parole. <laughs> and um, if passed, it'll just allow people who are on parole in the state to be able to vote if they choose to. So why does this matter to SDCU um, and then by extension, California State University students? Yeah, well, I guess the answer to that question is, you know, we can go a lot of different ways with that. But in terms of SDSU specifically, we have Project Rebound here, which, you know, we've done some stories about. That's basically a rehabilitation program where formerly incarcerated students are able to get the resources they need to have a successful education at SDSU or, you know, at San Francisco State, which is where that started. And um, those people are just as much as students as you and I are. And their voice matters no matter what, you know, no matter what they've done in the past. Just this prop would restore that to them. And in terms of all CSU students, uh, when I was talking to Dr. Mobley, who's the executive director of Project Rebound at SDSU, he was talking about how, um, you know, obviously the U.S. has some of the highest incarceration rates out of like all other nations. And that's including California, especially over the years. And the state money that is used to fund those prisons, you know, that, that money is taken from other resources, such as education, such as public schools like CSUs. So, you know, the reason we're seeing our tuition rise is because there's a lot of investment into imprisoning people and being punitive rather, rather than restorative. So I think this matters to a lot of CSU students because, you know, we want access to education and we want it to be accessible to everyone of all classes and backgrounds. But if the funds aren't there, if it's being taken away from things that matter, like education, it's just, it's just harder naturally. So yeah, this prop would be, it would restore the right to vote and that perspective to those people. And that would have some impact on policies in the future, the way funds will be distributed, and just overall, you know, reforming the prison system, which is naturally, we can tell, is flawed. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it's a kind of a great first step for California to begin a path towards restorative justice, which I think over the summer and these past few months has been a huge priority for um, so many of the people marching and protesting, um, and so it's kind of cool to see. So, so where do other states stand on this issue? Because I know California definitely isn't the first state to do this, but it, it yeah. isn't the last either. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so currently, right now, um, the other states that there are eighteen other states, including DC that are allowed to vote right after they've been um, released from prison. So, you know, parolees. And then obviously Vermont and Maine, you know, they're unusual. You can vote while you're still in prison. Those are the only two states where it's unrestricted. 
And then let's see. Um, there are nine states still currently where you can lose your vote permanently after you've been um, incarcerated and convicted. And then there's still 19 states that your vote's only restored after prison, after parole, and after serving probation. So that's, you know, obviously a big majority, but with the 18 states in D.C., and if it's passed in California, that'd be kind of evenly split in terms of uh, parolees getting their mm -hmm. vote restored. As I mentioned earlier, you had the opportunity to talk to some formerly incarcerated students at SCCU. What were their thoughts about Prop 17? And kind of can you talk about their feelings about it and how they feel about having the possibility of their voting rights being restored? Yeah, so I talked to two individuals, Moses and Sarah. Moses, he's an alum and he's already, you know, off parole or paperwork as the slang <laughs> that they use. And he was obviously very much in favor of it, both him and Sarah, where Sarah is currently a parolee, so she was really in favor of it too. And it was interesting to hear their perspectives because um, especially when they talk about the difference between violent and nonviolent offenders, I know that's a huge um, argument against Prop 17. Like, I don't want rapists to vote. I don't want, you know, serial killers to decide my policies. But honestly, the way they just, you know, they distinguish between violent and nonviolent offenders is very, very subjective and just up to DAs and like judges. And those serial killers, like we only have Ted Bundy's, like that's like less than 5% of yeah. the prison population. We have a lot of like, you know, like drug possession where it's like just a little bit of weed and stuff like that. And yeah, they were just, it was interesting to hear about that and how the system is, is hard for them to get out of. Like Moses talked about how he didn't want to accept like handouts from anyone. So obviously, you know, and if he doesn't have any other resources, that's kind of where he turned to, you know, like fraud, trying to get money, like petty theft, stuff like that. And um, Sarah talked a lot about how she thinks it's like, both of them talked about how it's a, it's a way to keep people of color, you know, going from their broken neighborhoods to the prison system, back to the broken neighborhoods, and then back to the prison system. And Sarah said it a lot, very passionately, like, you know, their voice never matters if they're always going through that system. And let me see, what else did they say? Oh, yeah, they also talked about how I asked them if they believe if their right to be restored or their right to vote is restored, if it'll make people less likely to reoffend, right? And, you know, they were kind of, they were kind of like, not necessarily will that be like the th the deciding factor where they're like, oh yeah, I can vote now. I won't, I don't feel like committing any more crimes, but they said it was the right step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Like again, making them feel a part of the community again, part of the government. But yeah, I mean, the reason to reoffend, I was talking to Dr. Mobley about it too, is very complicated. The reason people reoffend, it's not just like, one or done type of a thing like oh they're always going to there's there's a lot of reasons that play into it thanks caitlin for coming on that was very interesting and if you haven't read the story yet it is online so thank you caitlin yeah thanks for having me brendan i really enjoyed this <laughs> also on the ballot are propositions 15 and 19 these two measures both deal with property tax rules here to talk about their impact is dr anurag marotra an assistant professor in sdsu's fowler college of business who specializes in real estate Welcome on, uh, Professor Anurag Merotra. We're going to be talking about Proposition 15 and 19 today. 
So my first question is why should college students care about Prop 15 and 19? So uh, both these propositions are basically eliminating tax loopholes in the California tax system or property tax system. And um, there's a good chance that some of the students are going to inherit properties from their families. So Proposition 19 is going to amend rules in terms of how inherited property is gonna be taxed. So therefore there could be a direct implication to the students in terms of uh, when they do inherit their property from their parents or grandparents. And in Proposition 15, there's a split rule that is being proposed wherein commercial properties are also gonna be taxed differently. As a result of which, if you have a small business and depending on the lease that you've signed, the, the, uh, the rent or the cost of that lease could go up because the property taxes that you're paying, your prorata share of property taxes could go up. So in both cases, there could be significant implications to the students, and therefore it's important for us to understand what effect they're gonna eventually have on us. Both propositions deal with changing the 1978 rule established in Proposition 13. Could you kind of go into detail about that? Because I mean, being 21, 1978 happened like a long time ago before I was born, and so I don't necessarily, if I hadn't researched it before, I would have no idea what Prop 13 meant, even though it's a landmark proposition in California property tax law. Yeah, that, that's a great point to start from. So, so the way uh, property taxes work is that the whole basis for property taxes is that property taxes is the biggest source of revenue for local governments. And these local governments need revenue to provide services to the people who live in that city or county. So the city pays for the fire department, the police department, the schools, and all the other services associated with maintaining the city and maintaining your standard of living. And 70% of all cities or counties or local governments revenue comes from property taxes. So in California, they were levying property taxes so that the city can generate revenue. I just wanna make sure that um, you don't misunderstand me that the balance revenue comes from sales taxes. So mm -hmm. sales taxes and property taxes are the two sources of revenue for the local government. Now every year, uh, so basically the property taxes are assessed as a percentage of your property value. And every year the government assesses or the local government assesses your property value. And if it goes up, then your property taxes go up. If your, pro if your property value goes down, then the taxes go down. Now, what was happening in California was that property tax, property values were increasing at a very rapid pace. So therefore people's property taxes were increasing very rapidly. And the other thing was that the government was spending a lot of money and the uh, citizens wanted to curb the spending of the government and at the same time not see extremely high property tax increases. So there was a proposition that was introduced in 1978, which basically said that if I do not sell my property and I continue residing in my property, then my property taxes should not be greater than 1% of the value of the property and they should not increase by more than 2% every year. So that is what was passed. So basically what it did was it, it capped the amount of money that the government, the local government could raise to pay for services. So they had to work more efficiently. And at the same time, what it did was if I am a retired pensioner and I'm continuing to live in my house, I'm not being penalized or I do not feel the pinch of rising property taxes and I can maintain my standard of living 
because I'm not changing anything. My house is the same. The value of the house is increasing and I'm suddenly spending too much money on property taxes and I have fixed income. So it, it created a problem, for, real problem for the people. One of the problems with Prop 13 was that if I had bought a house in 1980 and I bought it for $200,000 and I was 40 years old, 20 years later, I'm 60 years old, house is worth like say a million and a half dollars and I want to retire. So I sell that house and I want to buy a townhome, which is going to be smaller just for two people. My kids have grown up. So I want to buy say a $500,000 condo and the difference that I'm going to save will help me during my retirement. Mm -hmm. Now the $200,000 house, I was paying $2,000 in property taxes. I sell my house for a million and a half dollars. I buy this condo for $500,000. And now my tax bill goes from $2,000 to say $6,000. So I'm downsizing, but my property tax bill is yeah, going up. So a lot of people were like, hey, I should just continue living in my house because it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Why should I pay additional property taxes? So what the government did was they modified Prop 13 and they said, hey, if you move within California and within specific counties, then you can take your $2,000 tax bill to that new property. We will, we will not raise your property taxes. The other implication of Prop 13 was that a lot of wealthy people from outside of California started investing in properties in California, along with uh, the dude, Mr. Lebowski. <laughs> um, they, uh, he, you know, he he took got got a huge advantage. So the point I'm trying to make is that there were a lot of wealthy people who actually inherited property from their family, and they did not have to pay an increased tax. So what, what Prop 13 also did was, if I was inheriting the property, then it would be treated as, as if the parents had continued to hold on to the property. So the example that I used where somebody had bought a house for $200,000 is worth a million and a half today. Instead of selling it, if the parents decide to give it to their child, the child continues earning, uh, paying $2,000 in property taxes on a property that's worth a million and a half dollars. The same thing happened with commercial properties. So what that did was it, it basically capped the funding for the local governments. And since then, the local government has been trying to figure out a way to turn that around so that they can get more money. In Proposition 15 and 19 are the government's attempt to kind of fix the problems you mentioned. So what, what exactly will they do? So what Prop 19 and Prop 15 do is that for commercial properties, what they're saying is that they're going to reassess all the values for the properties and bring them to market. And that's going to immediately affect the property taxes for those properties. So if I had bought an office building for a million dollars in 1980 and I was paying $10,000 in property taxes every year, I've not sold the property, you know, the property is within my family. And then Today, it's worth, say, $20 million. What the government's going to do is they're going to say, okay, let us value your building. We've been treating it as a million dollars, but now we're going to treat it as a $20 million building, and here's your bill for $20,000 or $200,000 or whatever be that number. So what, what, what that is going to do is that all these properties that were enjoying the benefit of these low property taxes will be brought up to date in the marketplace. On the residential side, what they're doing is that if you are transferring your property to your uh, heirs, then if the heir is gonna be occupying that property and using that property, then there would be no change in the tax. 
But if I was to rent that property out, not live in that property, then it would be treated as what it's worth today. So your property taxes would go from $2,000 to maybe $8,000 or $10,000 because the property is now worth over a million dollars. So what this does is that it eliminates the benefits for wealthy people and for people who are taking advantage of this loophole. So what's going to happen is that the governments are going to raise a lot of money. There's a lot of old people in California who are going to be retiring and transferring those assets to their heirs, and they're going to end up charging, uh, generating a lot of revenue. And on the property taxes uh, for the commercial properties, they're expecting to raise anywhere from $8 billion to $12 billion every year. So this money, um, the money for the commercial properties is going to be primarily used for funding the school systems. And the money from the um, residential, from the properties that are being inherited, the additional tax that's going to be generated is going to be used towards fire victims and fire um, um, for people who have been hurt in the fire, uh, the, you know, for rehabilitation work, there's also going to be like a firefighting force that is going to be set up. Mm -hmm. So, so the uses of all these funds are good, but the implication of all this is that the cost of living and the cost of doing business is going to go up in California. Uh, how much? It could be as high as five percent, ten percent, twenty percent. We don't know what the exact number. I've not computed the exact number at this point, but definitely, if I'm a landlord and if my lease says that my tenants are going to pay the property taxes, then any increase in property taxes is going to be the burden of those small businesses. And if their cost of doing business goes up, then they're going to increase the price of their um, products that they're selling to compensate themselves. So what I'm trying to say is that the passage of these bills in the referendum or during this uh, in this ballot is going to increase the revenue for the state, but that increase is going to be a cost to all the folks who are going to be the citizens of California. There's a cost associated with it. I'm glad you brought up kind of the opposition to Prop 15 and 19 because a lot of commercial real estate and industrial real estate landowners are saying it, it, the cost will be translated onto consumers and then obviously wealthy people that own um, real estate that they want to pass on to their heirs, they um, criticize that. So are there any alternatives? Because obviously the money raised is needed. Um, California schools are known to be underfunded. Um, we're seeing that here at the CSU where the appropriations is expected to be much less than needed. So I guess circling back, are there any alternatives to this that could still increase state revenue, but kind of mitigate the widespread impacts you mentioned? I think, um, you know, I'm not a, uh, I'm, I'm a real estate professor of real estate, but, you know, as a, as a citizen of the state of California, my, my thoughts are that I think the state governments have to be more efficient in terms of how they operate. I think there has to be a little more accountability. I think, um, uh, you know, big government sounds good, but at the same time, I think they have to be more efficient. I think raising taxes or raising capital is not the answer because, you know, you're going to raise money, you're going to increase the level of service, and then we're going to come back to the same point. Mm -hmm. And if you if you go back, I want to I want to just introduce one new concept is that. So one thing I mentioned in, in during my conversation was that. When Prop 13 was passed. 
funding to local governments was sort of curtailed, right? Because they could not charge the market rate. So therefore there was a ceiling that was put in terms of the money that was raised from property taxes. But that didn't stop local governments from raising money to finance developments or residential projects. I'm sure you heard of the concept called mellow rules. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when when local governments, um, so the point I'm trying to make is that there are alternate financing structures that can be put into place to raise capital. But if I am spending extravagantly, it doesn't matter how much property taxes I raise, at the end of the day, I'm always going to fall short. It's like, you know, if you give uh, an irresponsible student a credit card they're going to keep spending on it. And if they don't earn money and pay it back, that debt is going to keep climbing. So I think at the end of the day, there has to be a balance between the revenue collection and the expenditures. Uh, But I think I'd like to say that by unlocking these these loopholes, I think that'll be healthier in the long run. I think these, these discrepancies that are created by uh, you know, tax ceilings and tax subsidies are, is not healthy for the market. I think uh, that might actually be a mechanism to correct the crazy property prices in California. I think once people realize that, I think it'll, it might have a positive effect in the long run. Thank you, Anurag, for coming on. Great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you very much and wish you guys all the best. And uh, hopefully we will make the right decision. California voters have a lot of tough decisions to make on Election Day. And while we only talked about a couple of the propositions on the ballot, The Daily Aztec's got you covered. Our Proposition Voter Guide is available online at thedailyaztec.com alongside our other 2020 election stories. And for live election night coverage, whatever that might look like, follow The Daily Aztec on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. As always, thanks for tuning in. Now go vote.